We started a new sermon last week, focusing on the command of the Lord in Matthew 28 that says, make disciples by teaching them all that I've commanded you. And so we're looking at all the commands of God and those things that we're responsible for knowing and doing ourselves and those things that we're responsible for passing on to others. Today we're going to be in John chapter 14. We're actually going to be focusing on verses 1 and 27. Actually what we're going to do is we're going to use verses 1 and 27 as kind of bookends of this scripture. I'll read to you verse 1. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So this statement about not letting your hearts be troubled is kind of bookends of this scripture. And so we'll be using what happens between those to kind of help us walk through what it means. What's this command to not let our hearts be troubled? And so let me read that again as we start today. Verse 1, that's going to be our kicking off point of John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The command, I think, is fairly simplistic or very simple to understand he tells us very clearly he's talking to the disciples and he says let not your hearts be troubled i think that's probably bible talk or or first century talk or first century greek for be calm just be calm when you think about what it means to not let your heart be troubled it means don't be anxious don't be afraid don't be worried don't be stressed don't be panicked Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overcome. uh, Don't be undone. All those ideas follow in that troubled, that troubledness of our heart that Jesus is saying, just be calm. Be calm in whatever situation you face. He goes on in that. that, It's a pretty profound sentence. Let not your hearts be troubled. Be calm. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so that gives us the command to be calm. And then it gives us the how is that possible? How do we do this command? And it's simple, belief in God. That by believing in God, there is a calming effect on our hearts. That's the second part of the sentence. Believing A believing heart is a less troubled heart. We might even say it this way, and maybe uh, another one of my equations is the greater the faith, the greater the calmness. The greater our faith in God, the greater our hearts become calm and settled. Let me tell you something. The fact of the matter is, I try not to react to what I hear other pastors say. Occasionally people come up to me and say, Pastor so-and-so and and Pastor so-and-so, and I heard this and I heard that. And I usually try not to, to say much about that. But someone recently shared with me that there, a pastor in the area said that he had noticed how those who are moving close to God, those who were really getting their relationship with God right, that they didn't get sick. He noticed that these people who were, he, he, he said it something to the effect that I can tell who's close to God because, well, they're not getting sick. And the implication is everyone who's sick, well, they're just not close to God. Well, let me just say this. Just simply say, that's just, there's just no biblical base for that kind of statement. I just want to refute that kind of idea and offer something of my own observations in this matter. 
See, I've been convinced of the faith of other people. I've been encouraged by the example and challenged by the dedication of people, not because they lacked sickness, but how they dealt with life in the face of sickness. It's it's when I see someone in the throes of life, in the chaos of life, and they remain calm and steadfast and assured that I say there's somebody close with the Lord. It's not the lack of sickness, but it's how they deal with it that convinces me of their faith. That they can deal with that and not lose their mind and not go completely out of board, not panic and be fear stricken. That's when I say there's someone close with the Lord. And I think the Bible tends to pass that that same example out. One example I've seen in this life was a person I considered my second father. He was in seminary at the same time my father was in seminary, uh, and he and his son and I became best of friends. And after our dads graduated seminary and they moved to West Virginia and we moved into North Carolina, I would spend my summers with the Sandrock family in West Virginia. His name was Tom Sandrock. He was a pastor. Later on, we kept in touch all our lives. His son, Tommy, would be my first roommate when we moved out and rented our first house after we graduated college. This was a lifelong friendship. But when Tom was in his 50s, he found out that he was stricken with cancer. And I remember the last visit I had with him in the uh, hospital at West Virginia University. And uh, went to his hospital room and he had lung cancer and a number of other things. And he, he literally had more tubes coming out of him than I'd ever seen. They're just everywhere as he was in the late stages of his cancer. Sitting up in bed, smile on his face. Nurses coming in to him, and he would often, and while we were visiting, he would, he would see these nurses come in, and as soon as they walk in, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you today? Is there something I can do for you? And saw his nurses and heard testimony of his nurses, how they would come to get comfort from him while he's sitting in the bed, dying of cancer, more than they ever comforted him. And I said, here's a man of faith. Here's a man that I hope to be like when I'm in that situation, which I will be in one day because sickness will hunt me down sooner or later in this life. And may I be in that day a shining testament of faith. That's the truth of the matter when it comes to being calm by our belief in God. See, I think we as Christians have something great to offer this world. It's a true statement. It's a fact that much of the social things that go on in the world, orphanages and the care for the needy, all started from Christians, from the church. Randy likes to talk about how even in the first century, our brothers and sisters who were the very first Christians, how they would go to the city dump in Rome and they would find discarded children, children born with birth defects, children that weren't wanted. People would just take them to the trash dump and leave them there outside the city. Just... They wouldn't kill them. They would just let them die out there. And Christians, Christians were the very first people that would go out to these dumps and they would find these discarded children and they would bring them into their homes and they would raise them and love them. The beginning of orphanages and orphan care that started with Christians. And we've offered many different programs for the needy as Christians. We've blessed the world with our presence. But more than any program, more any care like that, we have something to offer the world that is immensely valuable in the day in which we live calmness peace 
tranquility in the face of this world. One statistic from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older. This is over 18% of our population. And this is just diagnosable. This isn't the, the stress and anxiety that hasn't reached diagnosable levels yet. We live in a world that is hectic, stressful, anxious, worried, overwhelmed, panicked, nail-biting all around us. And as we get more and more and more information around the world, the chaos just seems to grow and grow and grow. Just generally, the world is chaotic. And we as Christians have something very precious to offer. Calmness. Peace. And tranquility in this world. When we say believe in God, we mean much more than just that God exists. When I encourage us, when we encourage one another, believe in God. We're not just saying believe that God exists. Yes, that's part of it, that God exists. But think about it. When you when you see someone and you say, I believe in you, I believe in you. What are you saying? You're saying, I trust you. I know you can do it. You, you have what it takes. I believe in you. I, I put my faith in you. You can overcome. You will be able to handle this. And that's what we're saying to God. Not just that you're there, but I believe in you. You can handle this. I can trust you. You're going to make it. You're going to provide. You're going to take care. And so I'd like to use this passage today. Between those two bookends, those two bookend commands to not let your heart be troubled, to look at five primary beliefs that enable the Jesus follower, that's a Christian or a disciple, but the person who follows Jesus, to be calm in the world of chaos. There's five primary beliefs we have that if we really believe them in our heart, will change how we live in this chaotic world. Number one. We believe in heaven. Verse 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That I, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way I am going. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. There's heaven waiting for you. The first source of peace, the first source of calmness that Jesus references is a belief in heaven. Now think about who's saying this. This is Jesus, the one we just got finished celebrating at Christmas, who came from heaven. He's been there. He knows what it's like. He's not, he's not talking about some fantasy world. He's like, I came from here. I'm going back to where I came from, and I'm going to take you back there too. He's speaking with knowledge. It often amazes me that, that at, when I think about Christmas and Easter, we usually call uh, Friday that Jesus died Good Friday 
because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we celebrate Christmas because Jesus came from heaven. And I'm often like, why do we call the, the, the killing good and, and we celebrate the leaving of heaven? I've often thought about how sad it is to think about Jesus left heaven to come be here. It almost breaks my heart to think about what he left behind to come be here. Because I know what here is. And I hear what there's like. And how good it is. We were bantering the last week when we had our elders meeting. We were kind of bantering back and forth about Lazarus. When Lazarus gets raised from the dead. Do you think he was upset? You know, like, I just had four days in heaven. And you call me back to this? Really? Do you know where I was at? I was just sitting down to supper with Noah when you called me back. Uh, that's just the play of our mind sometimes. But, but consider that. Imagine. Do you think Lazarus thought about his next death in a different way? Because he'd had that taste maybe of heaven? Did he look forward to it differently because of the faith he had and where he was going? I had a dear friend, Walter Motika, at my last church who was well up in his 80s. And Walter, to hear him speak, and, and it was actually true, there was more wrong with him than there was right with him. And he's like, if they would replace all the parts of me that are broken, there would be a new me. It wouldn't be me anymore because there's so much of me broken. And so I would visit with him and he would often... Uh, had these deep conversations. So I went to visit with him one day and he was telling me this story. He's like, Jason, today I kicked back in my recliner for my, for my nap, like I usually do. And, uh, I was laying there and it was a deep sleep. And he was like, I opened my eyes and there wasn't a sound. And it was so peaceful. And I thought, finally, I made it. He said, and then I heard, the fan, the ceiling fan running. And he said, I thought to myself, darn, I'm still here. <laughs> Walter had a great dire passion to be in heaven. He would talk about it often. It wasn't long after that conversation we put in. We were there the day that they accepted him into hospice care. And about 12 hours later, he finally got to go there. But he lived his life. Believing in heaven. And he knew it was where he wanted to be. He lived what I think Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says. Set your mind on things above. Not on things of this earth. I think that's the key to calmness. Is putting our mind. Not where we're at. And not the place we're leaving. But thinking about and preparing for the place we're going. We get our focus on where we're going and not where we're leaving. And I believe there will be some calmness there. Hebrews 11 tells us about these saints of old and how all they endured. And their, their constant thinking was about where they were headed. And so they endured all the perils that they faced because their mind was set on heaven. They had a belief in a better country. And they said God was not ashamed to be their God because that was the motivation of their life. And so that's the first belief that we have, the belief in heaven that there is something much better and it's coming that we live for. And so whatever happens today, there's a better day coming. The second belief. Sorry, I got ahead of myself just for our kid notes. So Christians believe in heaven. The second belief 
Belief in the supreme deity of Jesus. This is what he says. This is verses 8. This is actually verses 10 and 11. Uh, It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do these works. Jesus is complaining, Jesus is claiming something profound here that I and the Father are one. The Father is in me. He's Telling and exposing again to us the Trinity, but the deity, his own deity. Our belief is Jesus is the supreme deity. This isn't just some God we worship. He's the God. This is who is our Lord. It's not some God or a God. It is the God. As in the children's notes, it says Christians believe Jesus is the one And only God. That's who it is. He's the supreme being. He's the maker of all things. The person who loves you isn't just somebody. It's the body. It is God himself who is our friend. Who is our Lord. Romans 8.31 puts it pretty succinctly. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? So whatever situation we face, whatever source of of turmoil, whatever source of fear, whatever source of anxiety, you can say one thing. Well, my God can handle it. Why? Because he's supreme. There's nothing bigger than him. There's nothing he doesn't understand. There's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing he can't do. I have somebody on my side. It might be beyond me, but my backup got it. He can't be overcome. He is the supreme God, the one and only. The third belief that brings calmness. Belief in the complete provision from God. And so Jesus goes on and says, I've got this place. I am the Father. We are one. And he says, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these they will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. He gives us access to the provisions of heaven. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be in heaven Whatever you ask in my name, this we will do. And so we have this belief, this understanding that God will provide what's best for us. That's how we say it in the children's notes. Christians believe God will provide all that is best for them. When we say it in his name, when we ask according to his will, when it lines up with his will, God will provide whatever it is you and I need. He'll take care of us. 
That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Don't worry. You're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be unprovided for. You're not going to be taken un, taken care of. I will still take care of you. We will still look after you. You can still trust in me. For years, these disciples have been following him around. And, and he's been looking out for them. When they needed food, well, he takes out three, three loaves and a couple of fishes and he feeds 5,000 people. When they needed to pay their taxes, they went and found a fish and opened up the mouth and pulled up the coin to pay the taxes. Whatever they needed, Jesus seems to provide for them over and over and over. And he's talking about leaving. They're like, well, what's going to happen today? Don't worry. We're still going to take care of you. We're still going to provide everything you need. We're still going to look out for your best. Don't worry. Be calm. Luke eleven thirteen says, So if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how can the perfect Father not give you everything you need? James 4, 3 warns us, though, that we just need to make sure we ask in accordance with His will, in His name. Give us what's best, what we need, the provisions of heaven. And not to ask wrongly or for selfish desires. Second Timothy chapter 3 points out where much of our needs are met. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So when it comes to being calm and you say, I'm undone, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, you have Scripture and the promises of Scripture that will be a comfort to your heart. That you will have in those, you will find in those the promises of provision, the promises of God, so that whatever it is that you need calming, there is an answer within the Scriptures that you can turn to God to even obey this script, this command to be calm. The fourth belief that we have. We have the belief in the Holy Spirit's aid. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. He lives with you and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's another promise. You're not going to be left alone. I'm going to send you another helper. Now, Bible scholars, uh, especially Greek scholars, tell us there's two words in the Greek language for the word another. One is another as in different. That's a heteros. It's different than and then the alas, which is this word for another, that means same as. I'm giving you another the same as me. It's the example if, if I was to have apples up here and I say, well, here's my apple. I'm going to give you another and you had an apple. Apple and apple, they're the same. If I gave you another fruit and gave you an orange, it'd be apple and an orange. They're different. This is what, God, what Jesus is saying. It's using a word that says, I'm giving you the same thing I am. The Spirit is the same as me. I'm not giving you something different to help you. I'm giving you something that's just like me to be your helper. So I, you can, you're not just trusting in a different one. You're trusting in God himself, again, to be with you and help you, the Spirit of truth. 
And he will not leave you as orphans. He's not going to abandon us on that garbage heap and leave us to die like was the practice in Rome. I won't leave you as orphans. So the Holy Spirit, in other places, the Holy Spirit's called the comforter for help us be calm. That he's there to aid us in this life. To give us the strength and to strengthen us to endure. The strength to overcome and the strength to be calm. Ephesians 3.16 That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Calm inside because of the presence of the Spirit. Philippians 4.13 This is one of our favorite quotes in, the, in our day. But think about the implications. For I can do everything in Christ who gives me strength. Colossians 1.10 So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have full endurance, patience, and joyful, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in His inheritance. Or First Timothy one two, Paul himself understood this. I thank Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, for he considered me faithful and appointed me to service. I think that's kind of the evidence that I'm talking about. We see people caught in these moments, we see people in this chaos, and we're like, How can they be so strong? How do they get the strength to endure this and carry on? How do they how do they muster up the internal whatever it is? And it's the belief in the Holy Spirit that strengthens them on the inner man that we see the results of that showing in the outer man. We as Christians quite simply believe God is always with us. We're never alone. We're never abandoned. That the Almighty is there no matter what situation it is that we face. And we can draw from His strength through His Spirit to live our lives. The final belief is the belief in God's love. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he, will, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. Judas Iscariot said to Him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not be in, and, and not to the world. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Earlier in John's gospel, he said one of the most pro, one of the best known scriptures in the world. You can probably re, repeat at least John 316. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 though right after John 3.16 I think reveals quite an important thing. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. I think it shows two different mindsets. How we look at God. What our base belief in God is. Do we basically believe God loves us or do we basically believe God wants to get us? You know, a lot of people have this view that God's kind of this cosmic cop patrolling his beat, 
looking for some evildoer to catch, someone who's crossed the line, someone who's broken the law so he can slap the cuffs on them. You know, he's out to get them. And, and the scripture says God didn't come to do that. He didn't come to condemn us. If he wanted to condemn us, he wouldn't have had to come at all. He could have just left that go and follow its course. But he came to save us because his base belief in us, his base feeling towards us is, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now think about that. The supreme being who's always with us, who's prepared a place for us, who will provide everything we need, loves us. Now, if you put all that together, don't you have to wonder, well, really, what is there to be afraid of? What is there to worry about? What is there to be so concerned about? I got a a permanent home in heaven. I have a permanent presence of the spirit in my life. It's the almighty supreme God of all the universe. He will provide everything I need and not leave me an orphan. And on top of that, he does it all because he loves me. This is what we have to offer the world. This is what believing in God has to offer. Yes, we should worship God not for what he does offer us, but because of who he is. But because of who he is, he offers us all of this. There's a saying, if you know, I've heard people use this expression, if I could just bottle that, you know, you see somebody with a lot of energy, you know, and people say, if I could just bottle all that energy up, man, and I could just, you know, open it up when I need it, that would, I could use that to get me through the day. Well, do you think if the world knew this, they would say, if I could just bottle that up, if I could just have that in a bottle so that when I face some situation, when I came into some moment of anxiety or some moment of fear, when my heart was troubled, that I could just have some of that to give me peace and calmness. Well, it was bottled up in the person of Jesus. And he says, by faith in him, you can have access to it. You can live in this world of chaos with great calm. Christians believe that God completely loves them or God loves them completely. There's nothing lacking, not one little bit of lack in God's love for us. And if we know that, then we have the ability to live in this world different than everybody. And people might start to see us, hey, you live in the same world. You work the same job I work. You have the same stresses at your job as I have because we work side by side. And it doesn't seem to bother you what's going on here at the plant. It doesn't seem to bother you what's going on here at this place. It doesn't seem you have a calmness about you and a peace that, man, I just wish I could bottle some of that up and have it. Well, guess what? It's already been bottled. All we got to do is distribute it. It's faith in Jesus Christ. I think the world is screaming for this. I think the world is dying for this calmness. Because you may be aware there's been a, there's been a, 
uh, uh, explosion on the t-shirt market and on the whatever market of these different shirts. Be calm and, right? Be calm and carry on. Be calm and carry on. That's one of the ones. There's this whole epidemic of these little sayings. Well, I'll offer you mine. Keep calm and believe in God. Not just in his existence, but that he'll do it. He'll live up to it. He'll see you through. He'll provide for you. He won't leave you as an orphan. That he loves you. I believe in you, God. You can help me through this. Help me through this.